scripture reading is taken from 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. Verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is God's word. Thanks, Jen, for reading God's Word. Good morning, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. I have good news. The book table is back. Okay? So I'm going to recommend a couple of uh, books to you guys. First of all, uh, there's this book on parenting by Paul Tripp, Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. Uh, So those of you who are interested in how truth can be applied in parenting, this is the book you can pick up. Next, you have a gospel-centered family. So if you're interested in how truths can be applied in your family, you can pick this one up. And surprise, surprise, gospel-centered marriage. So if you want to find out how truths, the truth of Scripture can be applied to your marriage, you can pick this book up. And the last one, When God Weeps, Why Our Sufferings Matter to the Almighty. You can also pick this up as we learn about truths applied to suffering. And it's not... um, it's not deliberate that I actually put uh, suffering after marriage. Okay? Suffering doesn't always come after marriage. Okay? So, but you can look at the, these books at the book table downstairs later. So let us pray first before we receive God's word this morning. God our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth, taught your will, and be pointed to Jesus Christ. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It was my 12th birthday. Guys, PowerPoint. Okay, it was my 12th birthday. My classmates had just celebrated my birthday party in my family's HDB flat. You know, as boys, I came from an all-boys primary school, and as boys, fun is never enough. So we wanted to continue our fun, and we continued at the void deck as us boys 
played the H.O. game that required no props, no preparation. Okay? We played police and thief. Okay? At first, we kept to the void deck. But if, for those of you who actually played police and thief, you know that the boundaries of play will get wider and wider, right? So as the police chase the thief, the thief will run further and further away out of the boundaries. And some of the boys started running down the steep 15-meter slope that was in front of, of our HDB flat. I was chasing one of my friends, and he fled down the slope. And you know, my, my mom actually warned me before the game, boy, ah, you can play with your friends, but be careful. Ah. Okay? Stay around the void deck. Don't run down the slope. Don't run near the road. And you know what? I actually slowed down as I approached the slope as my mom's voice echoed in my head. Don't run down the slope. Then our friend on my team shouted, Go get him. Don't let him get away. So who do I listen to? Hmm. What do you think I did? I did what all 12-year-old boys would do. I wanted to win. I wanted to be a hero. I wanted to look good in front of my friends. So I obeyed the voice of my friend and chased the other boy down the slope. And let me tell you, at first, it was spectacular. Okay? My heavy set body responded to gravity and, and I accelerated down the slope. I thought I could catch him. Then I started going faster than my legs could take me. And I fell as I reached the pavement at the bottom of the slope. I listened to my friend. I fell and I badly hurt my knees. I should have listened to my mother's voice instead of the boys. And because I failed to listen to the right voice, I suffered for it. A, blood, a bloody scraped knee and pain for two weeks as my knee healed. Okay, there's a point to this story. It's not just me recalling some childhood memory. The point is this. Whom we listen to matters. We are bombarded by many voices telling us many things, aren't we? In our workplaces, in our schools, out in the world. But this is not just restricted to voices we hear out in the world. We even hear some professing Christians in our churches saying, you know, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. We hear things like, God accepts the worship of all religion. As long as you are sincere, God will accept your worship, no matter which religion you are in. Okay? We hear things like, God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. Or we hear things like, God wants to bless you. You can have your best life now. Or we hear things like, you can worship on your own or with your family. You need not worship together as a church body on Sunday. Have you guys heard this statement spoken by people in our churches before, in our Singaporean churches? In fact, one of them is actually the title of a book. Okay? And only one of these statements is unevocably true. And my friends, do you know which it is? You see, there are many voices speaking to us. Which voice 
is speaking truth. Whom we listen to matters. It matters because who we listen to will either help or hurt us. It matters because what we are dealing with are truths that will shape our faith. It matters because what we believe will literally lead to our life or death. So my friends, to whom are we listening to? How can we tell who to listen to? Or for some of us, does it even matter? It certainly matters to Apostle John because John tells us in 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. John's purpose for writing this letter, as Eugene told us last week, was to offer us assurance, offer assurance to those who are struggling in the faith and to challenge those who are complacent in their faith. But what were the circumstances that prompted John to write? John wrote this letter because false teachers have infiltrated the church. And these teachers, not only have they left the community of faith, they did not leave alone. They had persuaded some in the church to leave the church with them. And their teaching, as a result of their teaching and of those who have left the church, it has caused some in the church to question their faiths and caused others to believe in untruths and to behave in ways that were contrary to the truth of the faith. John warned the church about these false teachers in 1 John 2, 18-27. And what did these false teachers do? They thought that Jesus did not take human form. They said that Jesus' incarnation was only a matter of appearance. Therefore, Christ's suffering, death and resurrection were kind of experienced by the human Jesus in which the divine Jesus did not participate. What they did was they separated the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ. And John argued this in 1 John 2.22, that by teaching and believing that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, they denied that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, John's strongly worded rebuke and response to them was to call these false teachers liars. John warned his beloved church that those who did not believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh will fail the belief test of 1 John. As a result, John addressed the church and gave a command. Okay? He instructed the church using two actions words in this verse. Believe, as in do not believe, and test. So what John did was, John commanded his beloved church, do not believe do not trust, do not put your confidence in every spirit. We are told not to believe, but in contrast to uncritical uh, uh, trusting, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And what does it mean to test? To test is to scrutinize, is to look at critically, is to examine the details. We are to examine the voices that are speaking to us. But we may ask, we are to test the spirit. Spirits, huh? Does it mean that we are to be like ghostbusters, you know, going around with this detection device? No. What John was saying is this, that every prophet, every teacher, as they teach, as they speak, they were speaking from some spirit. So John was actually talking about the spiritual influences 
that guides a person's speech and action. And the New Living Translation translates this verse as, Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. So my friends, we are to test the prophets and teachers who claims to speak by the Spirit of God. Why? For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are many deliberately deceptive persons pretending to be prophets, claiming to speak for God. They are in the world around us. In the context of 1 John, prophets here refer to the false teachers in 1 John 2, those who claim to be teaching truths from God, but they were instead anti-Christ. What they taught replaced Christ. Therefore, it matters that we discern among the voices speaking to us. Because even today, there are many who claim to be Christian, but are deliberately deceptive. You know, many of us will be getting their SG bonus end of this year. I'm sure all of you heard about this. And as soon as the SG bonus was announced, some of us started to receive hoax SMSs. Any of you actually received this? Noah, okay. Well, have you a good account straight time say that a lot of people have received this, okay? These messages actually request us to log into a website and then the website asks for bank account details and password. And when the Straits Times reported on this, they asked, the Straits Times asked that we examine the messages we receive carefully. Do not simply trust and give out our bank uh, uh, details. Okay? For the senders of this hoax SMSs, they, were, they are after our money. So the point here is, gullibility is not a virtue. And Apostle John reminds us, reminds the church to be discerning. Do not uncritically trust someone who professes to be a Christian. There are some who profess to be Christians, but they are out to deceive you. Perhaps they are after your money, perhaps they are after influence, perhaps they want power. But rather, we are to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. They examine everything that Paul taught. Imagine that. They even scrutinize a big-name apostle like Paul. I mean, most of us, if we have a big name, like for example, the late Billy Graham come by, we will uncritically just accept what he teaches, right? But what happened here? Even someone as big as Paul, they scrutinize him. Okay? And even the most well-intentioned among us, our pastors and teachers, our preachers, will make mistakes in our preaching and teaching occasionally. So do not be uncritical. Do not uncritically accept any preaching or teaching by examining them. And this calls for discernment calls for us to be discerning. Do not be lazy, work to discern, because the consequence of not discerning is serious. So how can we discern? John has this in mind as he continues. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So how do we discern? How do we discern? How do we know that what is being said by a preacher or teacher is under the influence of the Spirit of God? 
And John tells us this in verse 2, By this you can know. The origin of the inspiring spirit may be discerned from the words of the teacher through whom it speaks. If the teacher confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he or she is under the influence of the Spirit of God. A profession of faith in Jesus Christ openly and boldly as the eternal Word of God come in the flesh gives evidence that this person is speaking from God. Maybe may be asking me, is this the only criteria? Why did John focus specifically on the incarnation of Jesus Christ? He did this because in this context, he was making reference to the false teachers of 1 John 2, the Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist whom John warns, the church has come and is now in the world. There is a clear and present danger. But the intent of his application for the church is not just to guard the truth of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, but the whole, the whole truth of Jesus Christ. What is at stake here is the truth of who Jesus is and what He came to do. What matters here is right Christology. You see, my friends, as opposed to the Spirit Antichrist, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, always honours the Son of God. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself taught that it is the Holy Spirit's particular ministry both to testify to and to glorify Jesus Christ. We see this in John's Gospel, uh, John 15, 26, John 16, 13 to 15. So if you're a teacher from God under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will always point to the true Jesus Christ. So the first discernment is this. First test of discernment is this. Does the teacher confess and teach the truth of who Jesus is and what he has come to do? Does the teacher confess and teach the truth of who Jesus is and what he has come to do? You know, some of you may say, of course, like Oli, you know, what, is, what you're saying is pretty obvious, right? Christian teaching should be about Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, right. But remember, there's a clear and present danger of the spirit of Antichrist. So we, all of us, even this pastor here, we are prone to replace Christ with something else. And we have heard, even in the, our midst, in the churches around us, of Christians believing and teaching the following. Okay, I'm going to quote. Both physical healing and financial prosperity has been provided by Jesus, by what Jesus did on the cross. Teachers who advocate this say this, the basic principle of the Christian life is to know that God has put our sin and sickness and disease and sorrow and grief and poverty on Jesus at Calvary. Do you hear that? They tell us that Jesus' atonement extends to the sin of material poverty. In short, they say that Jesus come or Jesus came to make us healthy, wealthy, and successful. My friends, is this what Scripture tells us that Jesus came to do? These teachers distort what Jesus came to do. The greatest problem we have is not material poverty, is that we are separated from our Creator. Our sins have separated us from God. And Christ died on the cross 
to atone for our sins, to make us at one with God. And because our sins are forgiven, those of us who have been separated from God, we have been brought close, brought near to Him. And this is what Jesus did on the cross for us. How can we discern if a person is speaking the truth about who Jesus is and what He came to do? The key thing is to know well who Jesus is and what He came to do. Now, I have the privilege of spending uh, time with young families in our church. As a single guy, I always appreciate when families invite invite me into the midst, especially those with young children, because I can play with them, and then when they poop in their pants, I can return them to the parents. Right? So I've been spending time with them, and I'm amazed at how I can be talking to the mothers, even in the fellowship hall downstairs. You know, it's quite noisy, right? So when I talk to the mothers, then suddenly their young child call out to them. And I'm amazed how the mothers would, are able to tell their child's voice from among the other loud voices and quickly attend to them. I saw that a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with Pei So how can mothers actually do that? It's because they know their child well. They are so familiar with their voice, the child's voice, that they are able to discern the voice of the child from among the many voices that calls out around them. So my friends, know who Jesus is and what He came to do so well that you're able to discern His voice from among the many voices that calls out among us. And what are some things we can do to help us be familiar with Jesus Christ? If you want to know Jesus well, then read the Gospels. The four Gospels are eyewitness testimonies to Jesus Christ. In fact, John in his Gospel tells us these, meaning the words in the Gospel of John, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John 20, 31. At least know one Gospel really well. Pick a Gospel to read with your friends or with your family. You know, personally, for those of you who know me, I'm personally partial to the Gospel of Mark, partially because it's a short, one of the shortest of the, the, shortest of the Gospel, but partially also because I, I see the Gospel of Mark as almost like a blue-collared worker. Uh, it's a blue-collared gospel because it's all about what Jesus is doing and it moves from one action point to another action point. So regardless of what all of this, pick one gospel. Some of us may like the gospel of John, others like the gospel of Luke, others like Matthew. Pick one gospel and read it at least once or twice a year. Now God has also given us teachers and authors who guard the teaching of who Jesus is and what He came to do. So Eric, you can put these two books on the, in the bookstore. Okay? And so I'll recommend these two little books. What is the Gospel and Who Jesus Is? I know for some of us, we, we talk about reading, we get scared because we think it's a thick book. But these are really two small little books that you can finish within like two hours or maybe four hours. Okay? These short books will help us know the essentials of who Jesus Christ is and what He came to do. But read them not only for yourself. Read it to sharpen your discernment so that we can also speak this truth about Jesus Christ to others in the church. Because as a church body, we are responsible to guard the truth of who Jesus is and what He has come to do and to exalt one another in this truth. Also to this end, the elders have put on the church website under the section What We Believe a paragraph 
describing who Jesus is and what he came to do. And it's accompanied by all the scripture references. You can actually refer to it and be familiar with it. Because as a church, let us be really familiar with who Jesus is and what he came to do. Wow, doesn't this sound like a lot of hard work? I've been telling you to read books, read the Bible, read, the, uh, read what we believe. And the Apostle John almost seemed to anticipate our concerns and objections as he continues in verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Or as the New Living Translation translates this, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. This, my friend, is good news. It's good news for all the effort that you will be putting in. Because John assured the church of three things. Firstly, we are from God. We belong to God as His children. Secondly, because Jesus Christ has overcome the world, we who believe in Him and receive Him have already overcome the world, overcome the false teachers. John assured the church that they have already won a victory over these false teachers, that they have already overcome their, those with the spirit of Antichrist who taught falsehood. The church has already contended with deception and have already discerned and overcome the errors taught. Thirdly, he reminded them of the spirit who lives in believers. The Holy Spirit who indwells all believers will throw light, will illuminate the Word of God and guide us into all truth. John himself says this in his Gospel, in John 16, 13. So the spirit of truth is greater than spirit ever. My friend, isn't this wonderful news? This is the Gospel. Because God graciously empowers us to do what He commands. We are commanded to discern truth from falsehood. But God, by giving us His Holy Spirit, enables and empowers us to discern. This is grace. The Holy Spirit within us helps us to overcome the false teachers. We are given the assurance that we can discern. So let's press on and put in the effort to discern. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit will continue to throw light on the Word of God. After motivating us to discern, John gives us the second test of discernment in verses 5 and 6. He tells us this, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So this is how we know if someone has a spirit of truth or a spirit of deception. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. The key phrase here is, listen to us. And what does this mean? Does it mean that you listen to the pastors, you listen to the bishop or something? So what, what does it mean when John refers to listen to us here? What does this mean? Who is this us that John is referring to? If you have a Bible, put your finger on 1 John 4, turn back to 1 John 1, 1. And just follow with me as I, or listen as I read the first, couple, first verse in 1 John. That which 
we was, that, was, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. My friends, this is the same group of people John referred to as we in this verse. It refers to the apostles, the apostolic band, who has been eyewitnesses, who were eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ. So what John is basically saying in the second test is that in order to help, one way to help us discern false teachers from teachers of the truth is whether they listen to and heed the apostolic testimony. So this is how you discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Whether the, what the person says and teaches is in accord, in line with the testimony of the apostles. But what does it mean for us today? Okay. It means this. The apostolic testimony, the witness, the, the witness of the apostles, all this has been written in the Bible. It has been inscripturated in the Bible. The testimony of the apostle Peter, of Paul, and of John, they have been written down in the Bible. So how do we discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error? We check what the person says and teaches according to what the Bible says and teaches. The test of truth is the Bible and not whether the teacher has a big following or not. Because it says there in the verse, do not be surprised if a false teacher gains a bigger following. Because John tells us, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Because false teachers are from the world and reflects the world's values, what they say and teachers are in line with what the world desires. And because of that, their teaching will gain favour from the world and the world listens to them. So the test of whether a person teaches, what a person teaches is truth or error is not measured by the following he gathers, but by rather by what he teaches and says, whether it's in accord with the truth of Scripture. So what does it mean for us? Because now we have the indwelling Holy Spirit and the testimony of the apostles, then we can discern the spirit of truth from the spirit of falsehood. So what? What now? Firstly, we should as a church body discern, defend and exalt one another in the truth revealed by God. It is not an individual effort. Now, most times we read scripture like this and we think it applies only to us and we think that it's only to the individual. Because, you see, our modern English translation do not differentiate between the singular you and the plural you. I mean, the way that is often uh, uh, distinguished in the southern part of North America is to call you all. Okay? The plural you is you all. Okay? And we often read phrases such as you are from God and he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world in a purely individualistic sense. We think that it only applies to, the, to us as a person. Yet if you look at the context of verse 4, it's clear that John is addressing little children. And the Greek you is plural, as in you all. In fact, verses uh, 1 to 6, the pronouns and all the verbs there are plural. So what this means to us? Yes, as individual Christians, we have a personal relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling us uh, gives us assurance that goes with it. But what John is calling us here, however, is to discernment as a body. 
John addresses not only to us church leaders, but the whole church body. It means every one of us here today. He calls on us, the beloved, the little children, to distinguish between the worldly antichrist liars and the Trinitarian truth teachers. The call here is for us to be like a congregation of Bereans who will examine Scripture every day to see whether what is said is true. So we should be like the Bereans, not only examining everything that Paul taught, but examining everything with Scripture. So not only are we to be diligent to discern, we are to discern with Scripture. Of course, this implies that we should be familiar with Scripture. You know, when I was a young adult, um, I think it was in my 20s, so that was about 20-something years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I was actually doing a solo backpacking in Europe. So after I went for a conference, presented a paper, I started backpacking, I spent five weeks in Europe. And I had the privilege of joy of visiting the Louvre, the Louvre Museum in Paris, France. I know some of you smile, some of you have been there. This is where actually the Mona Lisa, the painting of the Mona Lisa is kept. And like every visitor, I stood in queue and waited patiently for my turn to simply stand and look at the famous painting. I think I stood in queue for almost an hour. Okay? Yeah, yeah I, I was a typical tourist. And it was my turn. I stood there. I was fascinated by the painting. That is, until I was told that the painting on display was only a copy of the original. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, nevertheless, what I was looking at was a good copy, but it was a fake. Okay? The original was kept in a secure vault in the Louvre Museum. It was elsewhere in the Louvre. You know, I was really disappointed. You, you expect you spend one hour standing there, you want to see the original, right? What you get is you see, see the fake one, but it was, it was still a good experience, but it was fake, you know? Yeah, but, but the thing was this. Because I was someone who was not trained in arts, initially, I could not tell the difference. So I stand there, I was amazed, I was going, wow, this is fantastic, okay? But it was fake. And you would take a trained eye, someone who is, was so familiar with the original Mona Lisa to be able to discern between the real and the fake painting. Likewise, my friends, in order to discern whether a person is teaching truth or error, we, we need to be so familiar with Scripture that we can tell the difference. So test one is Christology. Test two is Scripture. So we are, secondly, we have to keep the Bible central to what we do as a church. We have to guard it. We have to speak it to one another. You know, as a church, we can do this together next year by attending the equipped classes in 2019. We can train ourselves to be so familiar with the Word um, that we can easily identify truth uh, from error. You know, once a month next year in 2019, we'll conduct 10 sessions from January to May and July to November. We'll be holding classes for all members of GBC, especially CG leaders and ministry leaders. We want to come together to learn to read the Word. We want to come together to learn to teach the Word. We're going to come together to learn to have our ministry practices and life be shaped by the Word. So I encourage all of us to prayerfully consider and commit to attending these sessions. In fact, I was just in a CG this past week, and one that CG has accepted the challenge 
to at least have half their members attend that session. And I was encouraged when one member immediately responded with the challenge when the challenge was put forth. Sure, I will attend. And I was like, wow! Because usually the, the, the member um, is, is a little bit less enthusiastic when it comes to committing to all these things. But I was so impressed when he, he said, yes, I will attend. Okay. So in, to, in, in addition to attending these equipped classes next year, when we gather as small groups, be it as CGs or Bible studies or fellowship groups, our goal standard is to keep the Word central. You know, if, if you are in church on a weekday, you'll be so encouraged. I was so encouraged by the many women's group that gather in church on weekdays mornings to do Bible study together. You know, when I get up from my table to stretch my legs, I walk outside in the fellowship hall and I see them faithfully studying the Bible. I'm so delighted when I see that. Our sisters have set us an example to follow. So men, we need to step up. Okay? Their conduct, their desire for the Word as expressed by their faithfully gathering together week after week beautifies, makes attractive, adorns this truth of Scripture. It not, it's not only the profession of our faith, but our conduct that makes attractive the truth of what we believe. Therefore, as a church, let us commit to discern, defend, and exalt one another in the truth revealed by God. Not only that, another way in which we can exalt one another in the truth is to sing the truth. And that's what's happening over this weekend and next weekend. We have the preview for the Reformation concert, Psalms Grace that sings today. And next Sunday, uh, next Saturday, I don't better not get it wrong, next Saturday, we're going to have the actual concert itself. And in this, we are singing the truth of Scripture in our songs. And this is one way, as we sing it, as we sing to one another, to encourage, to exalt one another in the truth of Scripture. So let us, my friends, by our actions, our commitment, work out in our conduct, show ourselves as custodians, as stewards of Christology and Scripture by diligently searching, studying Scripture, singing Scripture, pointing one another to Scripture. Thirdly, do you realize as you reach this simple verse, uh, simple six verses, there's a lot of repeat of the Spirit? So John is talking something about the Spirit here and about apostolic testimony. So thirdly, there is no separation between the Word and Spirit. Because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, throws light on, illuminates the Word of God. Okay? So what the God, Word of God reveals, the Holy Spirit illuminates. And the problem addressed in our text here is the refusal of some, okay, the false teachers, to listen to the Word of God in apostolic teaching. But this is not merely a historical problem. The same problem plagues our churches today. Many misunderstand the Holy Spirit to work independently from Scripture revelation. So they separate Spirit and the Word of God. As one commentator writes, John has portrayed the role of the Spirit primarily as testimony to the tradition, not as a source of new revelation. In all likelihood, he did this because the false teachers who have left the church were claiming the Spirit as a source of their new and heretical doctrines concerning Christ. John therefore felt that it was necessary to hold together the Word and the Spirit. Or to put in other words, he felt it was necessary to stress the Spirit's role as witness to the truth of the Gospel concerning Jesus Christ 
as it was proclaimed from the beginning. So what this means for us is, let us not separate word from spirit. Let us not move beyond the word to the spirit. And certainly we are not missing out on the spirit when the word is kept central to the life of the church. Word and spirit goes together. How can we tell who to listen to? We can tell when, when we discern that which is taught or spoken, uh, whether it adheres or whether it, it is in line with orthodox Christology and whether it is in accord to Scripture. But does it matter? You know, at the bottom of your ministry guide, I gave you a quote by this early church father, Athanasius. And if you read the first sentence, it says this, it is necessary to everlasting salvation. He rightly tells us this in the first line. It is necessary for everlasting salvation to believe the right things about Jesus Christ and what He came to do. Why? Because it impacts our salvation. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It matters that the teaching, the words we believe is in accord to the testimony of the apostles. It matters that the words we listen to, the teaching we hear, is in accord, in line with Scripture. My friends, whom we listen to matters. Are you listening to the right voice? Let us pray. Father God, you are always faithful to us. Your word shows us time and again that you are faithful. We confess that we are a faithless person. We are a faithless people. We are prone to wonder. As the hymn says, no, we are prone to wonder. So forgive us, Lord. Teach us what it means to be faithful to you and to your word. Help us as a church to guard the truths of your word and to exalt one another in the truth. Teach us to be able to discern well and give us steadfastness as we follow you. We pray that as a church, we'll be stewards of your truth as we proclaim your gospel to one another and to others who need to hear your life-giving truth. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Before you rush off, uh, I know we're going to sing a song after this, but before you rush off at the end of service, I'm going to put a reflection question up on the screen so you can actually spend time after the service just looking at the reflection question. I want you to think about how can we together as a church body learn to better discern truth? And what can we do to help one another better discern? Thank you. The worship team, please. Thank you. Uh, let's stand and respond to God's word by professing the truth of Jesus Christ. There is no other name.
First John 5.20 says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now receive the benediction. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, that through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated after silent meditation. Get it out. Awesome.